Whatever that need is, we are saying that the Spirit of God is able to undertake for that need. And so when he says, anointing them with oil, the Spirit of God is touching that person's life. And I'd also like to add this time that as he, as it mentions, calling for the elders of the church, that there is support that is needed from the body for those who are suffering, for those who are not well. Often we have a we have a call that says that says, you know, this person is in need of prayer. Can you lift them up in prayer? And call somebody else. This person is in need of prayer. Can we pray for this person? And when when we are going through a time of perhaps sickness or suffering ourselves, to know that the body of Christ is all coming together, is joining together, even as represented by the elders, that there is support there. There's support there. You know that you're not going through this alone. And oftentimes, this is how a person feels. You know, when, when you are really feeling unwell, you feel alone. And it is so helpful, so encouraging, so healing. Let me say, it is healing to know that the body of Christ, the church, is supporting you, is standing with you. And this is what is, uh, I believe, is represented here by when he says, calling for the elders of the church. And also, we need to stay alert to the needs of our body. We need to stay alert, be aware. Sometimes we're not always. And may I also say right here that if you have a family member or someone that is close to you and they have been hospitalized, to please let either Pastor Nick know or myself or some of the leadership in the church so that we can visit them. This is, this is an area that the hospital struggles with because as long as I've been on the spiritual care team, this has been an area that we have tried to improve on. And that is when a person goes into the hospital, they are they're asked they go through an admittance form. They have an admittance form they you know if they're able to at all to to fill up. And there's questions that are asked there that would you know, what is your spiritual preference? You know, would you like someone to visit you? And oftentimes, I'm not sure how it happens, but uh, it doesn't get put down. And so, uh, when we go to, the, go to the hospital to visit, there can be a person in there that we know is from the church, and they have uh, at the at the Greeters' desk, they are not aware, or somehow it's not on their list of you know who wants to visit. So we ask you, as church, that if you know, or if yourself or a loved one 
has been admitted to the hospital to please let us know at the church so that they can be visited. Um, oftentimes, when I've been in the hospital, I've just chanced upon a person and, oh, I didn't even know they were in here. And yes, they do need a visit. And uh, it's, uh, you know, sometimes that person may be there for a period of time and you have no idea that they're in there. So that's just, uh, just a little uh, kind of an encouragement on, off on the side that, that uh, we would like to know so that these people can be visited. But anyway, staying alert to the needs of our members. Because prayer, and as we pray as a body, corporate prayer, that is corporate prayer, that is important. It's vital to the health of the of body, of the church. Corporate prayer. It's when we join together and we have a focus upon, you know, this is the need that we are praying for. That it changes things. God changes things. And it's important to Him when we can pray corporately. The prayer of faith. It's talking about, you mentioned the prayer of faith. Save the sick. You know, it is, it's not so much talking about this person that's addressed in the scripture as the one that has called, but it's talking about the, the church, the, the elders that are coming representing the church. The prayer of faith will save the sick. God heals, and our prayers are part of God's healing process. I wonder sometimes if God sometimes waits for our prayers of faith to move on in certain situations. He's waiting for us to pray. Waiting for us to pray. James also addresses our faults. He says, confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that he may be healed. When we do this, we need to have wisdom. As you, there's, there's times that there's perhaps, uh, when maybe we have sinned against someone, we need to go and talk to that person. We need to make that right. There may also be the time when we struggle with some type of a sin. Now we need to be able to confess it to those who are able to provide that support. And I would just like to underline that. That if you confess your sin to someone you, that you feel, you really feel that you need, in order to be released from this, that you need to talk to somebody about it. Um, talk to somebody up that is able to provide that support. And use wisdom. There's definitely some people that are that it would be wiser to talk to than others. And uh, there's a matter of confidentiality that comes into into play here. And gossip should have no place 
among us as God's people. Gossip is a sin, and we don't want to have any make, allow any room for it. You know, we are we're dealing with people. We're we're working with people. We're wanting to see people healed, and you know, gossip will destroy people. It will destroy. And we want no part of that. So if if you feel you've got a weakness in that area, you know, ask the Lord to to help you to get the victory over that. And uh, yes, what else can I say about that? That's just use wisdom in, in speaking, confessing your fault to one another. And yet, you know, there's times that in order to be released from an area of a, of a weakness or a sin in your life, you need to talk to somebody. They need to counsel with you, encourage you, maybe give you insight. So there is a time for that. And this is what James is saying. Confess your faults one for another and pray one for another that ye may be healed. That is the end result that we want to see. To see healing in people's lives. That's why we have the healing rooms on Monday and Monday evenings. To see healing in people's lives. And it's it's a ministry that is so vital, so important. And then he says the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. It's almost like, in my mind, he wraps up all the previous points with this vital key. A quote from Oswald Chambers, he said, Prayer does not equip you for greater works. Prayer is the greater work. I'll just read that again. Prayer does not equip you for greater works. Prayer is the greater work. So our main weapon in a prayer offensive is a keen knowledge and an application of scripture declared verbally, even in the same way that Jesus fought the, the devil in his wilderness experience. So learn God's word. Hide it in your heart. Learn to apply it. And oftentimes you need to declare out loud. Declare out loud what you what you hear with your ears coming out of your mouth makes a big impact. So prayer is a vital key that connects us with our Heavenly Father. Prayer is both an incredible privilege and an awesome responsibility. And it can move the hand of God where there, in situations where there is no other hope. I was just reading this morning, uh, glancing to a book that I had at home, and it was talking about a lady who's, she woke up in the night and her house was burning. And she had no children. Uh, I think that her mother was in the house as well. The house was burning, they were able to escape, and she knew that in the dining room there was some important legal papers. 
that she didn't want to lose. So, leaving the fire, the house burning, she went to the neighbors. She said, call the prayer chain at church. Tell them to pray that the Lord will spare our dining room. If you can believe. Now, that would seem like an impossible prayer. Maybe we would feel a little bit, you know, hesitant. But would you believe? The house burned, fell into the basement, everything except the dining room. And in fact, the firefighters had a truck that was parked close to the house, and it was somewhat damaged because of the heat. But in the dining room, they had these papers laying on the table, uh, a candle that was there that had was not lit, but it had it wasn't melted or anything. There was no no smoke damage, no damage to the dining room at all. And the firefighters said, "We have never seen a fire like this." Because God did the impossible. He did the impossible. And I wonder how many other stories we could we could hear or if we knew them all, how we would be encouraged to pray and to move the hand of God in situations that would seem like there was no hope at Now, prayer, biblical prayer, is crying out to God from the depths of our heart. And in fact, in Romans 8.26, it says, Likewise, the Spirit also knoweth our infirmities, and it prays with groanings that cannot be uttered. The Spirit, if you have received the gift of speaking in tongues, the baptism of the Holy Ghost, and you know how to pray in tongues, pray in tongues, because there is there's power. It's like the Spirit of God within you knows how to pray. He knows what you need, that He will pray for you. And that's what that verse is talking about. Just turn to that, if you have your Bibles. Romans 8 and verse 26. So it may sound a little different. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought. Have you ever been there? When you didn't know how to pray? This is what is talking about what to do at a time like that. But the Spirit itself made an intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. The Spirit also helpeth our infirmities that we may not know what, what it is that we're crying about, but the Spirit knows. And he's within us. 
How many have the Spirit of God within them? <laughs> yes, if you know the Lord, you've got the Spirit of God. So, the Spirit of God within you, as He prays, He knows what needs to be prayed for. And then, uh, James is talking about a righteous man. When a person is right with God, when your heart is right with the Lord, the power of a sincere prayer is tremendous. Effectual, fervent prayer is the hardest kind of work to do. If if I said to you, now I you're most of most of you have jobs or work or you you're you know about the workforce. If I said I want you to pray for an hour, to intercede for an hour, or to go to your job and work for an hour, what would be the easiest? To do your your work. Yes, it is hard work to intercede. To pray. So effectual, fervent prayer is the hardest kind of work there is to do. It takes more out of a person than any other kind of work. And you you talk to even people at, at the healing rooms, you know, after you've prayed for two or three people and you've just poured yourself into that, you go home and you're great. You know, have you ever thought about praying for people that have come up to the front and, and there's, you know, you're praying, you're really, you're really sincerely praying for them. It drains you. It drains you. So our natural tendency is to shrink back when it comes to praying for the impossible. Do we know that the power of prayer How can I work this? Do we rest the power of prayer too much upon ourselves? No, we are praying. But who is going to do the work? It's God. And sometimes I think we we feel like, you know, we are we are uh, we are praying, we are we're doing the work. Yes, there's certainly a work that is involved, but it is God. You know, sometimes we we feel that we take upon ourselves the burden of seeing that prayer answered, but it is God that answers the prayer. We need to see ourselves as instruments in the Lord's hands for accomplishing His purposes through prayer. So we're an instrument that he uses. I've just written down two or three points here about prayer. Uh, prayer is an act of obedience and a privilege for the believers. We are commanded to pray and also invited to bring our needs before the Lord. We are to anchor ourselves in his faithfulness and promises. An anchor is something that will, will hold the ship in the midst of tumultuous waves, in the midst of a storm, is what holds you 
And so let that be our anchor, his faithfulness and his promises when we pray. God has established prayer for doing his work among us. There's the power of fervent prayer. I talked about this, this lady that had prayed. She had the church pray for her dining room. Well, remember the story of Peter who was in prison awaiting his execution. And it's really quite a remarkable story. Uh, James had been executed. Actually, the writer of the book of James. He had been executed and now they have uh, cast Peter into prison and he's awaiting execution. But it says in Acts 12 that the church had gathered together to pray fervently for Peter. You see, the church knew that they had neither human power nor influence to save in this situation. There was no earthly help. But there was still help to be obtained by the way of heaven. And they gave themselves a fervent prayer. And it says that an angel visited Peter. He was sound asleep. The angel had to awaken him, told him to get up and follow him. And Peter arose. And as they went out, the, the gates opened before them. and. The last gate opened and Peter found himself out on the street and the angel disappeared and Peter kind of came to himself and realized that it wasn't a dream and he headed on to the house where he knew that the church would be gathered and uh, it, it is amazing in a way that when Peter came and Rhoda answered the door and she went back and she was so excited, she said, Peter's at the door. And they kind of laughed at her and said, you know, you must have seen a ghost. And he, she said, no, it's really Peter, go and see. And uh, Peter kept knocking, and finally uh, they were brave enough to come to the door, and what joy they had to see that Peter was out of jail by a, a miracle. God had done a miracle. God had done a miracle. This is the power of fervent prayer. The power of fervent prayer. James gives us an example of Elijah. <coughs> he says he was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly. That it might not rain, and it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. You know, this was this was a prayer that was actually based upon the word of God. If you look over in Deuteronomy chapter eleven, I want to read a couple of verses there. Deuteronomy eleven. Elijah was praying the word of God. Deuteronomy 11, about verse 13. This is now some of 
God's promises to uh, to Israel, and it shall come to pass that if ye shall hearken diligently unto my commandments, which I command you this day, to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul, then I will give you the rain of your land in his due season, the first rain and the latter rain, that thou mayest gather in thy corn and thy wine and thy oil. And I will send grass in thy fields for thy cattle, that thou mayest be full, but even be full. Now this, look at verse 16. Now who is the king at this time that Ahab declared there would be no rain? Someone quickly? Who is the king? Ahab. Now what kind of a king was he? He was a, a wicked king. He had allowed his wife to worship, uh, believe in the worship of idols, Baal worship, all kinds of uh, gods that they worship. Now look at verse 16. Take heed to yourselves that your heart be not deceived, and you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. And look at verse 17. So that's exactly what has happened. Ahab has walked in disobedience. Then the Lord's wrath be kindled against you, and he shut up the heaven, and there be no rain, and that the land yield not her fruit, and lest he perish quickly from off the good land which the Lord giveth you. So this is what God's word said. Look, if you if you walk in obedience to me, I'll bless the land, you'll have the rain you need, you'll have the crops you need. Ahab was walking in disobedience, and Elijah came, and he said, there's not going to be any rain for three and a half years. Also, if you look in the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 9 and verse 2, God had sent the people of, of Judah into captivity in Babylon, and he said, you're going to be there for 70 years. And so as Daniel is reading about what has transpired, he realizes that God has given them 70 years to be in captivity. And he knows that that time is drawing shorter. And so he begins to pray that God will release the people back to their homeland. So he was praying the word of God. The power of effectual prayer is based upon God's word. When we know the promises that he has made, that he has given, and we understand his character and the principles by which he works, as revealed in his word, I believe that we can pray with confidence, pray with authority, knowing that our prayers will be answered. 